The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra, and my pronouns are she, hers, and we. I'm Safa Master, and my pronouns are him, his, and we. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. So what are you and I drinking today? <laughs> <laughs> we are drinking Gibsons, but we're actually doing a Gibson comparison test. Nice, nice. Yeah, because I've made them both ways while you were gone. I made them shaken and I made them stirred, mm-hmm. and I know which one I prefer. Mm-hmm. So you've got four ounces of vodka and half an ounce of vermouth in each glass. Okay. But one is shaken and one is stirred. And in both of them, there are three cocktail onions in the bottom. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is taste the stirred the one. stirred one first. first and then yeah. you'll taste it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So how does that occur to you? So when I smell it, I can smell the vodka and the onions, right, before I taste it. And then when I taste it, it's it's good vodka. So it's, it's good vodka. But... It's very alcoholic. It's very forward. Forward. And then the onions are right there in, in front of you. Yeah. More like an onion flavor versus a sweet flavor. Yeah. Which those onions usually are pretty sweet. So right. now let's try the, the, try the shaken, shaken one. Yeah. Which obviously well, what we can see right away is the volume is way different. It's got more volume. Yeah. Because of your shaking, of course. Yeah. So no real odor. Softer smell. Yeah. Yeah. See. So yeah. I'll let you taste it first. Hmm. I'll get the ice crystals in my mouth, first of all. Yeah which is great. It's a much softer alcoholic taste. Like it's a more even, it's more balanced. Easier to sip. Yeah, it's balanced, right? Yeah, it's way more balanced. And it's sweeter. It's sweeter. It's not, and the sweetness, it's not totally discernible. It's that it's from onions. It's not like an onion flavor. It's like sweetness in a nice vegetal way. Right. I like the shaking better. I like the shaking better too. Yeah. I mean, I'll drink both. (laughs) Right. But I think that what the shaking does, because, you know, I shake it hard for about a minute mm-hmm. to break up the ice and get it, ice crystals in yeah, it. Right. So that as that ice melts, it waters the vodka down. It does. So it gives it an, a vodka balance. water balance. Yeah. yeah. In comparison to also the onions are leaching yes. their own pickling. Yes. Right. And so that becomes more balanced versus it's it's quite overpowering than the other one. Yeah. It's not bad. I wouldn't say it's bad, but if we're really comparing them, I would prefer a shaken Gibson Yeah, versus stirred. Yeah, I agree. Whereas we do the gin martini. No shaking. No shaking at all. No shaking. <laughs> no shaking. <laughs> That's entirely a stirred martini. No bruising the gin. No. <laughs>
The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Slub USA, the world's strongest, most powerful male masturbator. Visit Slub USA at slub, S-L-U-B-B dash USA.com. Today's conversation is brought to you by WeMinder, a behavior chart app for kinky couples like us. Learn more at WeMinder.app. Today, we're going to have a conversation about your experience as a submissive. So I think the best place to start would be for me to first frame what our existing construct is, Uh and then to ask you to share your journey, the way we ask our guests. Okay. So we live in a DS dynamic, a 24-7 total power exchange. I'm the dominant partner. Lady Petra is my submissive slut. She's collared, which means she belongs to me. And that is a process she can get into. And we've been living together for four years. We met about four and a half years ago. And it took about six months for us to to work out living together. And then we've been living together since then. About a year into our relationship, after she was claimed, I collared her. And then we've had a couple of collaring ceremonies since then, about a year apart. And we're coming up on the next one. And so with that preamble, Lady Petra, why don't you share with us how your journey brought you to this moment? Wow. Well, I've talked at length about the beginning of my journey. Well, I was in a 30-year marriage that was ending, whether my spouse at the time knew it. I had known it for about 10 years and was just really holding on until my kids graduated high school. And then when I saw, oh, a window of opportunity coming ahead that it was going to get to a point where I'm going to tell him I'm leaving him, that kind of thing. I did query, what was I going to do? Like, I'm doing this because it's toxic and I need to get out of it. And I fulfilled my obligation as a parent in the way that I felt I couldn't sacrifice myself anymore, right? So I decided to explore, you know, I hadn't dated or had any conversations in any way of getting to meet people in that way forever. And so I thought I would go to other social medias, dating sites, what have you, to meet people and then maybe start conversations at least to kind of I don't know, see if there was something out there that interests me and also rule out that that's not the way I want to go. Maybe I have to meet someone in something I enjoy doing. You know, it was just a start. But what was amazing to me, although I didn't reflect on it at the time, but later I have, was I didn't go to like things like Tinder or dating.com or I don't know what they're all called. I actually went to three kinky chat rooms and I didn't really think about it. I was titillated about it. And so I thought, well, I'll just see what, what happens here. And as I was navigating, they have all kinds of side chat rooms of, oh, dominance and sadists and all this stuff. I kept lingering in the dominant submissive area. And I came upon someone who I, as a demi-sapiosexual, I didn't know that at the time, but who filled that niche for me. I started an online relationship that went on for a couple of years, actually. And I got to the end of that and I was exploring a lot of my submission on my own, which was probably really great to do the way I did it because you know, technically the dominant's not there. If I didn't want to do it, I didn't do it. Although that's not how I'm wired. I do do it. But it allowed me to explore that part of myself on my own terms, which was something interesting. And I was very clear that I liked submitting to 
someone that I chose or was attracted to. It, it was online. It wasn't real. You know, we weren't even in the same state or whatever. So I really got to a point where I was needing real, like I need to be seeing someone real now. I've kind of like gone to the inteenth point of this submission online. I'm really obedient. So what more is there to do, you know? And I didn't like the, it felt a little bit like role play to me because although I was taking it very seriously, it just wasn't progressing where I thought it needed to go for me. So somehow in the chat rooms or somewhere, someone mentioned Fet Life, and then I found it, of course, created a profile and was like amazed at what I saw. Like this was even better than what I had been doing before because this actually had profiles of people, not just someone's profile name and then whatever words they would say. So I started looking, I, you know, I first started looking just randomly and, you know, lots of people have their two cents particularly on FetLife, and they would say, you have nothing on your profile. No one's going to talk to you. Okay. So then I started to put things on my profile. Like I wrote something in my about, and I read other people's profiles and tried to figure out what was right for me and write some things up. And then I was told another time, we don't have any pictures. I didn't know I was an exhibitionist at the time, but I still thought that was scary because I was more worried about confidentiality. And my marriage was a emotionally abusive. So I was concerned about, you know, if he found out or something that I might get physically harmed or something. So, so I hesitated to do that at first. I did some no face shots and that kind of thing. Then I was going along. I think, I don't know if I had undecided initially, or I put sub, I can't remember. I think I probably put sub or I was struggling with sub and slave. And now as I was reading lots of writing, I became clear like, well, I'm going to win the submissive game. So I better be a slave because that's how I win. And it's pretty comical because you don't win at that. You just actually need to find something that fits for you. But I didn't know that at the time. And so once I felt like I, okay, now I know what I want. I mean, I thought I knew. I started looking and I figured out that you could sort by location and you could sort by whether someone was a dominant or not. And so I, I sorted, I put a filter in, sorted, and then I started going from letter A and looked and went through, I don't know, probably up to F. And I mean, I'm like really I'm intensive about a project. I do complete work. So, I mean, these were, I was spending two and three hours a night after work, just looking. And I got to a point where I was getting tired and I was getting, you know, of course people, once you start following people, they start sending you dick pics. And I was just, that's not me. And lots of people just want to hook up and that's not what I was looking for, you know? So then I got kind of frustrated and I stopped for a day or so. And then I was like anxious, like I need to find something. And so I went back to it. This time I started at Z and went backwards and skipped some letters because they were dumb. The kind of people that picked those letters they just were really silly. And then I was almost going to stop again. Like this is a useless project is what I kind of concluded at some point. I was on S and of course Saffir's SA and I landed on Saffir's page. And at this point I felt like I was little jaded because, you know, a lot of the people's profiles were, if you read them, it looked like it was purposely written that way to cater to someone searching. And I kind of could read through that. So those were unattractive to me. Then there were ones that were just um, hookup people and those were, you know, a no. And when I read Saffir's, luckily he was in a place in his life where he was looking without me knowing it, something similar. 
that I was looking for. And I read his about, which was kind of his proposition to the world about who he's looking for. And I read it and I was really moved by it. Like, this is bizarre. Like this resonates with me. It moves me. I've read hundreds of profiles at this point and none of them did this to me. And I was like, wow. So I read it and read it and read it over and over again to the point where I was like, no, this is insane. Like, this is exactly me. This is, he wrote this for me. So then I perved his writing and his pictures and his videos and saw that he was involved, which was sad at the time. I was like, oh, okay, well, it didn't turn me away. I was still intrigued by his profile. And I really thought he got it, or at least he got what I was looking for. And so maybe he found that, or maybe he had insight, or he knew other people or something. So I chose to reach out to him. Initially, it was just the intention of information, but it definitely, my agenda changed very quickly as we started to chat. Okay, so you said earlier that you were a sapiosexual. Yeah. And what I'd like you to do is share with your awareness now of yourself as a sapiosexual, how that had an impact on you when you read my profile. Well, I mean, a sapiosexual is aroused and attracted to an individual by their intelligence. And you had a very thoughtful write-up and was very clear. It wasn't just all... Even though this is a fetish kink website, it wasn't all about sex or this. I want to stick my cock in your ass and all this business. It it was very much a lifestyle type statement of your intention of how you wanted to live your life as a kinkster, but with a partner. And I didn't know, but when I read it, I knew that's what I was looking for. That's why it resonated with me is I wasn't able to articulate because you have to imagine I've been in a marriage for 30 years. I didn't know anything else, not really. And so I had never had that conversation with myself or even thought about that stuff in a way that it was a possibility. And then when I see it written out, you know, as your own declaration of what you want to create, I was like, yes, that's what I, yes, those are all the things I want, right? Which helped clear up for me what I was looking for, what I wanted, how I wanted to operate in a relationship or a dynamic. So I, uh reached out to you and we started a conversation and you know some of the things you asked me were sexual in nature and some were general who I was as a person and then you had you tasked me which they were new types of tasks I hadn't done those before but it was still tasking and I was used to being tasked so that appealed to me and it didn't feel odd although the things I was doing for you were different and I think you were just testing my a few of my edges to find out if there was a potential for a meet because you know not to waste your time basically yeah well I was interested in a couple of things I was interested in you as a submissive I was interested in your obedience and I'll come back to that later and I was interested in your discipline because I wasn't really looking for a bratty submissive to correct Right. And that wasn't really clear to me, although I had an inkling that self-discipline and obedience were important to me. And I was looking for a woman who I was attracted to, who was also interested in exploring herself as a masochist, although that didn't become clear till later Right. for you. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we chatted, I tasked, and then you pretty much, after some pretty significant tasks, you... Um, like we got to meet kind of thing. And that was 
really profound for me because I had done tasking before for an online person and I'd never met, you know, and never had the opportunity to take it to another level. And I really hadn't done that, you know, before I was married. So I don't have any context for that. But instead of like making it more than it was, I just kept thinking to myself, this is an opportunity for me to learn about myself. I'm already learning a ton about myself. And this is another opportunity for me to learn about myself. So let's say I meet him and he's not interested in me or we don't have a vibe, whatever. It's not a loss. It just gives me practice and experience in what I am looking for. And, you know, if you think back to the time, I can't speak for Safford, but I was for sure like, yeah, he won't want me anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I had discounted myself way before we met. Just because it had already happened to me, people had discarded me before and uh, my own marriage my spouse discarded me. So I, 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 that was my norm. So I just assumed that would happen, but it didn't scare me. You know, it, maybe to someone else, it might've been fearful. I was used to it. So I was just like, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. So we met and at a neutral location, just, you know, just a restaurant or something. And it was amazing when you walked in the room, the energy was there. I could feel like my submission melt into the moment in the sense that this is what it's like to be with it dominant in person. And that really, I don't know, it just turned me on. I was super aroused and super titillated by the whole moment. And I was also obviously had a lot of baggage with me because I was trying to end a marriage and things like that. So there's a bunch of other drama there. But I knew as a submissive, like it felt right. So I felt like, wow, I'm already winning. I'm already learning this about myself, that this is something I want. That sensation is incredible. And then, of course, you went off to Europe. I had to finish some other trips in the summer. We met back up when you returned. You know, I needed to separate from my, my spouse at the time because, you know, it was clear that you didn't want space to be in our way if we're going to start a new dynamic. So I needed to get the ball rolling on completing something or not completing something. It was really great because you weren't pushing me in any way to do that or not do it. It was really up to me to decide. And I was pretty darn clear. And so I did because the prospect of being able to explore myself sexually when I hadn't in my whole life done that was worth it to me at that point. You know, I'd already checked out of my marriage, like I said, a decade before. So I jumped at it. It did, you know, cause extra stress. But then we started seeing each other for extended weekends. And, you know, it got to a point where, you, like you shared with the audience, where you claim me. And then, of course, in a year later, I was collared. I think there were a lot of transitions during that first year. I get it. But a lot of it was due also because I was naive as a submissive. Uh, I have a natural submissive nature, but, you know, two people learning how to operate with each other, that's a different thing entirely. And I needed to build trust and vulnerability with you so that I could explore. And so I think after that collaring, as we moved into the next year, I started to really dive a lot deeper. I mean, we instigated things like daily maintenance spankings. That was transformative for me because up to that point, you know, we had some type of sexual play almost every day. And then we would do high protocol scenes on the weekends. But you had found that my temperament would get flat as the week went on, as I traveled further away from our high protocol scenes and the canings and that kind of thing. 
And so you started to instigate daily maintenance spankings, which were not punishment at all, which was a total agreement. We talked about it at length and asked lots of questions. And for me, that was pretty amazing because that let me explore my masochism at a different level than we had before. So there's that. And then another transformative thing was, you know, in one of our caning sessions, I thanked you for my marks or that mark that you just gave me and asked for another one. And I think that you asked me a lot of questions after that scene. And I truly had a lot of questions for myself. But what ended up bubbling up to the top was, I think, a realization that I'm a switch. And I'm not a switch with Saffir, but I think there's something about the control in my hands as a masochist that gave me greater access to my masochism with the right sadist, of course. And that was Saffir. And that changed a lot of things for me on how I experienced caning and has led us to a point now where I think I, I don't know what I went up to, 35 cane strokes or something. And I think the only reason I stopped is I started losing an aspect of where I was in the space we were playing in because I was in really deep subspace at that point. You've raised a lot of really interesting ideas to perhaps inquire about. The experience of being a masochist. So, you know, we met after you had shared a experience with me where you explored yourself a little bit as a masochist and you got present to that pain wasn't an impact for you in a negative way. But through our relationship, you've explored yourself as a masochist. So I'm curious how that experience of yourself leaves you now that you look back over the last four years and you realize, you know, I've been exploring sadomasochism for years. And now I'm a heavy impact masochist. Right. And, you know, 35 cane strokes with a heavy cane is heavy impact. There's very few people on the planet who can do that voluntarily. Right. So what's been your experience of yourself as a masochist as you inquire into that journey that you've been on? Um, depending on what we're using as implements to create that scenario, it has really shifted from an impact to an exchange of energy. That's how I experience it, at least. Some energy has more of a vibration through me than others, and it gets my attention more than others. And then some creates a dull hum within me that is, although I'm sure you're flogging me extremely hard, I feel like it's almost like you're strumming me as a guitar, you know what I mean? And we're playing this vibrational music together it, it's going to sound weird. There are points where, especially in the flogging times, if it's rhythmic and we're with music and I'm subby, you know, it feels very like curl up and suck your thumb time. Like it's such a uh, safe, nurturing feeling and uh, joyful and arousing at the same time. Okay. And then the other question I had for you is you've mentioned subspace a few times and I'm curious how your journey has affected your experience of subspace over time. Because I remember the first time we had a heavy impact scene, I think it was at your claiming ceremony, you were subby for hours afterwards. Yeah. We had to go for a walk and get some food in you to sort of get you back to like normality. Yeah. But that's changed for you over time. So how has your journey shifted in subspace for you? Well, now I feel like I'm a participant in subspace versus it's just happening to me and I'm at effect because I've been there enough times to 
understand a bit about how to navigate within it. I don't control it per se, but I can navigate within it. It reminds me a lot of a version of what athletes experience when they're in the zone. You know, time slows down, you lose sense of time. Things that were difficult become more effortless. You're just in this uh, other plane, if you will. And so initially when those were happening to me, I got lost within that. And of course, you're getting a ton of like hormones and chemicals coursing through your body and your body may not be ready or used to the surges that you're having. And I think over time, you're still getting those surges, but it's like a drug. You get more adapted and used to it. And so then you learn to operate within that altered state. Okay, got it. And then the other thing you talked about that I think you need to share a little more about is the difference between what happens when we just seen day by day versus in a high protocol scene. What makes it a high protocol scene and how is it different? Well, day by day could be anything that we are up to and what we want to do. Queening to ravaging to three-hole play, that kind of thing. And it often involves impact. We save caning for high protocol scenes because you like your property marked. And that's part of our process. I mean, that's part of our agreements. That's part of our process. So when we high protocol, usually I kneel and present you with the cane, but then also you involve chains, which definitely dropped me into subspace way quickly. We definitely use at both uh, daily and high protocol scenes. Uh, this last year, we've incorporated hypnokink because we've been working hard on creating mouth chasms where I am. You put me in a hypnotic state and then you have me edge with the Hitachi until you show up for the scene. And, you know, then when you put your cock in my throat, basically I am um, to have an orgasm and that's the thing. And initially, you know, that was a learning curve for me to incorporate those two cross functions. It's a training basically. And now I feel like we got that down. We're doing good at that. And I enjoy it a ton. It's super hot, but it also punctuates where I am in subspace. Like it really, I'm at the point where by the time we begin playing, I'm already in subspace. It's not like as we play, I drop. I drop before we really engage anything significant within the scene. And then, you know, we could play, we have kind of a dance that we do in our high protocol scenes, but it could change a little bit here and there, but there's not a lot of talking. It's a lot of just knowingness or hand gestures kind of thing. And then it will culminate at a point where there's caning, where you will tell me you're going to mark me, you mark me, and then I am to ask for any other marks I want. And then if I get to a point where I'm done with marks, I thank you for my marks. And then we finish usually with ass play and prostate play, other things to culminate the scene. It's like we mark before we get to that, at least for you, your main orgasm, you know, if that's the intent. Meanwhile, you're edging the whole time and I'm usually an orgasmic mess <laughs> in daily play and in high protocol scenes. Yeah, it's perfect. All right. So what I'd like you to do is take a, you know, like a 10,000 foot view of yourself as a submissive and talk about how your self-expression as a submissive has impacted your self-awareness and your experience of yourself. Hmm. Well, I used to probably before I really even knew how to use the word or identify with the word when I'd say submissive, I knew that was a part of me, but I would resist it because I would equate it with being weak. I don't know why I did that. If I was 
you know, fighting hard to be seen amongst a world of boys because I grew up with lots of brothers. I don't know why that occurred to me that way. I didn't want to appear weak, and so I thought, well, a label like that might make me weak. But my heart yearned to be of service, and, you know, I've always been wired that way, so it's kind of weird that I fought that. But as I look at myself now, I'm like, no, I can be that and still extremely fully self-expressed, powerful, free. I can have my own voice and still be all of that and more. And the self-expression I have now as a submissive is extremely powerful in the way I want to express myself. I can't say that I have the recipe for all submissives because I'm only living my life. But I feel the most self-expressed I ever have in my whole life, and which is a blessing at this stage of my life to be able to actually say that. That's really great. And then as you look at the way you're expressing yourself in the world at large, how has your sexual self-expression impacted your own self-image? You know, that's been a work in progress because I think I brought, you know, my own stories and baggage from my marriage. And I was tightly holding on to those because I kept thinking, well, what is it all for if I, if all this time I've been worried or, or been thinking this one way and it's not really so. It took a lot to try to will myself to let go of what I thought was real and just be with what was so. Like, you know, if someone tells me I'm attractive, I need to be with that instead of dismissive of it. Because in the past, I was extremely dismissive of any accolades, compliments, anything, I, because that didn't fit my story. I was supposed to be not good enough. So I had to fulfill on that narrative. But as I've been with you and the way you treat me and appreciate me, and the way I see myself as a sexual creature, that doesn't fit with my old story at all. And it created quite a bit of dissonance internally with me where I had to confront that. And so over time, I have learned to accept that I am a very sexual creature. And I think I could honestly say that now. And back then, I knew it, but I would dismiss it because that's not how people are supposed to be, right? But now I recognize there's no right way to be. It's just who you are. And becoming clear on that has opened up doors for me on loving myself and understanding my own sexuality and how by loving myself, I can actually love more fully others, you know, including Saffir. So it's been revelational for me. That's amazing. It really is. You've been on an amazing journey. I mean, the difference of your experience from then to now is astonishing just by itself. Your growth as a human being, as a submissive, as a masochist, as a sexual creature, your discovery of yourself as a demi-sapiosexual, your willingness to be completely self-expressed as an exhibitionist, your discovery of yourself as a switch, and your exploration of your dominant experience of yourself. That's interesting to me too. Right. You know, so it's been like an amazing four years. And I acknowledge you for just being open and enthusiastic in your consent and also in your adventurousness. Like you're super courageous and adventurous. And the impact of all of that has led you to a place now where you're an amazingly hot, sexy creature who's just fucking, who just turns me on. 
right? <laughs> and you do that all the time. And it's really amazing to be with somebody who is just so free with her sexuality. It's just really beautiful. And the thing that I love is that you've pulled my sexuality forward at the same time. Your journey has been my journey. Right. It's amazing. I mean, really, we are creating each other with each passing day. And it's, for me, it's getting better and better. Like every time, every day, like it is no joke that when we have an interlude or a scene, the reality is we're always like, oh my God, that's the best ever. (laughs) I say that every time and it's no doubt. I mean, I don't just say things like that if it's not true, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we're being present together. Yeah. In our life that goes beyond our sexuality. We're being present sexually, but we're being present in our life. Correct. And I think that helps our awareness of each other as sexual creatures at some level. Yeah, it's beautiful. Why don't you share, because you've been gone for two weeks, why don't you share what you've been tasked with for the last two weeks and what you're anticipating tomorrow? So on an ongoing basis, I send you a picture of my butt plug inserted and I send you my morning love note. And then my responsibility has been on this trip away because you had started clit training. And so my responsibility is to keep my clit pumped and aroused and me in a sexualized state. So you've had me once a day, at least, if not multiple times a day, pump my clit. And then I send you a picture of the pump on my clit. And then I send you a picture of my clit after the pump's removed. And then I send you a video of me edging, which is super hard because I'm super aroused. So it doesn't take very long touching myself. (laughs) to get to a point where I'm like at the no man's land, you know, kind of thing. So that's been ongoing for two weeks. That's, I'm at a a frenzied point right now. And then on the plane, you're going to have me, after I go through security, pump my clit and edge for you. And then when I'm on the plane, find an opportunity once we get to altitude to go pump my clit and I can do that one or multiple times, but the point would be before we land to pump my clit and leave it in place all the way through getting picked up by you so that when we come home, I'm like a (laughs) crazed animal because, you know, part of the joy of returning to your arms is I get to see you, of course, that's the biggest part, but I get to get my collar and then, you know, our plan is you're going to uh, clitify me and ravage me. And then I'm going to queen you and play with your cock. And then finally, you're just going to dump two weeks worth of load down my throat. <laughs> and it's <laughs> That's pretty epic. exciting. It's going to be epic. It is going to be epic. Yeah. So if you can make a summarizing statement of what your journey as a submissive has created for you, what are you present to as your submissive self? Well, I think one of the most significant statements that I was not at ease with when you first used the words, because I didn't own them for myself, you know, is one of the explorations was, I have absolutely no problem being called your slut. Now, I'm not anyone else's slut. So if anyone else calls me that, I'll call them on it because of course, my switchy side means that, you know, I'm submissive to my chosen one and then everyone else I'm a dominant to. So I'm no one slut but you. And I cherish that. That that means a lot to me. But one of the combination of words that I really had to get attached to, because I believe it, I view the words together like not just saying someone's a slut, but like I would also equate it to being, well, that's someone who is desired. And I 
fought the word desire for a long time that I was considered desirable. And the, the words I'm speaking of, you kept talking to me about being a sexual creature. And I remember th really resisting that in my head, just going, I'm not a sexual creature. Yes, I have lots of sex. Yes, I do this, but I'm not a sexual creature. Like people wouldn't call me a sexual creature. Those are for the pretty people. You know, that's how I equated in my head because I didn't see myself as that person. But I am now, like I realize I'm a sexual creature. I realize I do have that kind of power and that awareness of myself. And it's growing more and more each day. And so it's it's interesting for me now that I recognize that and accept it to watch myself transform. Very cool. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Thank you.